Welcome to the WEPC Discipleship Podcast, because the gospel changes everything. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, if you get the, there's a handout in the back. We're at lesson 10. Um, and we're on one of the yellow weeks quadrants, the mind quadrant. So this is uh, kind of a, uh, a heady lesson uh, this morning, a very uh, intellectual lesson. Uh, I know. Get ready. Get ready. Um, but you guys will, it'll be great. It'll be great. Um, the homework this past week was to read those two chapters from Sinclair Ferguson's book of the Christian life, chapters four and five, called by God and conviction of sin. Um, we are going to look at that briefly, but I'm going to use that as a launching pad to look into um, sort of an underlying notion in uh, Sinclair Ferguson's book, which is the Christian life is about how we interact with God, right? And that's what a, a lot of this, that's what both of these books are about. The Sinclair Ferguson book and the Richard Lovelace book are about how we interact with God, which is, um, which immediately brings us to the, the question of salvation. Immediately when you think about it, you're like, well, how do I interact with God? What is, uh, well, actually, before I even get there, I want to look at a verse. I want to look at a few verses in the Bible. If you have your Bible open to John 10, because this is going to underpin the whole discussion we're going to have this morning. John 10, 1 through 30. So it's a long passage. This is the famous, I am the good shepherd passage. This is Jesus talking. So I'm going to read it for us, and I want you to think about the question, how does Jesus describe the relationship? Remember, so we're talking about how we relate to God. So how does Jesus describe the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep? So this is Jesus talking. He says to this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, which truly, truly is in Greek, it's amen, amen. So uh, he is, when Jesus says, when you read in any verse, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is like when Jesus says, if you hear nothing else that I say, hear this. This is super important. Amen, amen. I want to tell you something very important. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life, lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that, time, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I'll just read one more verse. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Uh, what he just said really, really made people angry. So uh, the reason why I spent a long time reading that long passage, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, and he says it over and over again. I mean, I am the good shepherd. Um, is because this is so important to think about our relationship. So let me ask a question. How does Jesus describe the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep? What are some things? Well, Kathy? I love that he knows us by name. He knows us by name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Thank you. Anything else? We know his voice. We know his voice. We know his voice. Yeah. Interesting because it's voice. It's not like we know what he looks like. Yeah. Would have led with that probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, voice is interesting. Is interesting. I mean, I, you think of maybe the shepherd being over the hill and just calling out to the sheep. Yeah, yeah. And they may not see him over the hill, but they hear his voice. Yeah. What else? How else does this describe the relationship? How does Jesus describe the 
relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. He lays down his life. He lays down his life. The shepherd lays down his life. Yeah. And then there's that little thing about the hired hand. The hired hand, if a wolf comes, just, ah, you know, screams and runs away. But the shepherd who these, these sheep are important to him. So, it, like, more important than his very life. Yeah. He leads them. Leads them. Yeah. Yeah. He leads them. They're not listening to other voices. They're listening to his voice, and they're following him. Yeah. He goes before them. He goes before them. Goes before them. Yeah. Yeah, the sheep uh, completely dependent. Is that what you're saying? Did I spell that right? Completely dependent. Uh, they also seem to be in a lot of danger. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. talking about thieves yeah. destroying and laying down his life. Yeah. There's, yes. So they go <laughs> yeah, there's there's this implicit danger that's yeah that's in there over and over again. Yeah, John. I also think that not showing the identity of Christian. Yeah. So the that someone identified with Christ, reflecting the Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that Christians can identify as the sheep. Is that what you're saying, John? John, you're jumping ahead. Just calm down. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, yes, exactly right. Yeah, he's saying Christians are the sheep. Yeah, which if you know sheep, it's not that much of a compliment. Uh, but he's saying something very implicit about us. Like we are sheep. Huh? Maybe I'll just write that. We are are his sheep. Yeah. Because we see that very clearly when he says twice, I am the good shepherd. Like Jesus is saying over, like he says twice, I am the good shepherd. Yeah, Margie? I read a book called um, A Shepherd Looks at the 25th Psalm. Uh-huh. So, I mean, Jesus is the shepherd and Jesus is the good shepherd. But anyway, it talked a lot about the 23rd Psalm would say, like, mm. the oil anointed, and then yet the sheep need the yep. oil. Yep. And he was the shepherd, yep. and he went through each thing. Yep. Leads me to great pastures. They had to lead the sheep up to different pastures. Yeah. This is very cool work. Yeah. I, I love that. One of my favorite uh, commentaries on Psalm 23 is a children's book, uh, Sammy and His Shepherd. Uh, I think the church library has it. It should have it. Um, and it, it is kind of like what you're saying, Margie, about your book. Like, it is a beautiful illustration of what Psalm 23 is. Like, this is the image. In the Old Testament, this is one of the big images of God. He is the shepherd, and we are his sheep, uh, as John was already saying. Any, Kathy? Um, he gives the sheep the 
Yes, eternal life. Yeah. And that is secure. Yeah, he says it very explicitly. I give them eternal life. Yeah. Anything else? Relationship between the shepherd and the sheep? He owns them. They're not only his own, but he owns them. Yeah, he owns them. Yeah. Mm-mm. Running out of room. He owns them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Linda, I, I, I see what you're doing. Like you're, you're connecting that we are the sheep, so you're thinking spiritually about this. Uh, at the same time, when you initially think about, okay, just shepherd and sheep, if anybody who has a dog or an animal knows, the dog listens to the voice of his owner, and then if a stranger comes along, even if it sounds exactly like the owner, but just a little bit, the dog knows the difference. The sheep know the difference. And so just the original audience would hear this story uh, about sheep and say, oh yeah, a sheep definitely does not listen to a voice of a stranger, only listens to the voice of his shepherd. Uh, and, but you're making a good connection how we are not as good as sheep. Yes, yes. Yeah, amen, yeah, yeah. That is a true statement, yeah. Anything else that you see in this passage? This is all in John 10, 1 through 30. Anything else you see? I wanted to, us, before we dive into some of this stuff, I really wanted us to just marinate, if you will, in this image. Because a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about um, is... Uh, I would say it's biblical, and it comes from this beautiful image of Jesus as our shepherd and we are his sheep. Uh, when you start talking about sort of like theology and doctrine, if it's divorced from this relationship we have from God, if it's divorced from biblical scripture, Jesus does not say, hey, disciples and hey, followers and, or even hey, enemies— let me give you my doctrinal statements about what I believe and what I don't believe. Does Jesus do that? No, he doesn't do it. He says, I am the door. Uh, No one can come to me except through the door. I am the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Like he's, he gives us images, right? And so when we talk about this stuff, keep this image in mind, this image that we are his sheep. He is our shepherd, that he knows us by name, that we know his voice, that he owns us, we belong to him, that he lays down his life for the sheep, that he leads them and they follow him, that he goes before them, that we are completely dependent upon him, that he protects us from all the dangers around, and that he gives us eternal life and it's secure. And there's so much more in this passage as well that we didn't even uh, get at. If we spent hours, we could, we could mine this for more. Um, and so, uh, this book, Sinclair Ferguson's book, is talking about the call, and it's talking about this conviction of sin, and what it's doing 
is it's giving us, Sinclair talks about uh, implicitly this thing called, and we're not going to talk about it for too long, uh, this thing called, I'm going to write Latin, ordo salutis. Have you ever heard this before? The ordo salutis, uh, which is Latin for order of salvation. It's this order of salvation. And so what, what Sinclair Ferguson is doing is he's explaining this Christian life, which is just like this that we've been talking about, the shepherd. Uh, but he's doing it in a way where he's saying, he's, he's uh, describing this order as we're, sa we're saved in a certain order. And we're going to get at that. Um, and um, one of the, the main texts on the orders, ordo salutis, on wherever you fall, is Romans 8, 28 to 30. And it's written on the handout. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, you hear called. For those whom he foreknew, you hear foreknowledge. He also predestined, you hear predestined, uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. You're hearing this conform to the image, the sanctification in order that he might be the firstborn, talking about Jesus, among many brothers. We are his brothers. And those whom he predestined, predestination, he also called, calling. Those whom he called, he also justified, justification. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there's, 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 a, there's an order there. It's kind of hard to pick up on, because, and there's differences of opinion, as you can imagine. Um, but there's this order in salvation from the beginning of time. How were we to be saved? And different Christians come to different conclusions about this. Okay, So uh, instead of us spending time on this, I think probably the best thing for us to do is instead of talking about the order of salvation, because that is, um, I don't know, something that's just not that helpful. Uh, and we're going to get at it. I'm going to ask this question. Is salvation a work of God alone, or does man contribute more or less to his salvation? What do you say? God alone. God alone. Okay. Spoken like a good Presbyterian. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway, just to irritate you a little bit, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> um. Is salvation a work of God alone, or does man contribute more or less to his salvation? So we've heard a couple people say God alone. Anybody want to disagree? Mike's here, even though this is just his one class, and he loves to be a devil's advocate. Yeah. Um, anybody want to disagree or at least say, well, what about this? What about that? No. Yeah. They show no fruits. Yeah. They, do they even know Jesus? I don't yeah. know. Like, I would not be convinced like, of that at all. But there has to be some sort of faith response. Yeah. Or else, what are we doing when we yeah. go and evangelize people? And I don't think it has to be an either or, but like, there has to be something. Yes. Avery, I, you get a, a star just for stepping into this debate. I, I, I love that. Um, and uh, probably no one would disagree with what you're saying, but what you're saying, you're getting at this issue of, well, if, 
if God, if it's a work of God alone, then are we participating in any way? What, I could just sit back and just sin and just be create, go wild and crazy. It doesn't matter anything what I do, either in body or in mind or soul. Just, you know, sit back and just be saved. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 That's exactly true. That's exactly true. Um, Jesus loves to call out people who are uh, deep sinners. Uh, sin, sin big, uh, because grace is bigger. Um, so, and any other thoughts about Becky? You want to say something? Yeah. is there fruit because you produce fruit yeah or is that the work of right God? right right yeah that like if my life is changing that's also not my salvation that's right. my sanctification but it also is that happening because i have done it or because yeah. god has moved it yeah yes Okay, right. so you're, you're rebutting what Avery was saying. You're not rebutting it necessarily, Avery, but you're bringing up this issue of, well, you, there's got to be some type of response, and you're saying, well, there, there yes, I, we agree. Are we responsible for that response, or is that because God has... Yeah, that's great. I love this. I love this. I love this. Uh, amen, and I think that's great. This is a, a fun debate a little bit, um, but if you think about it, or not even think about it, but in... In the Second Temple Judaism, and even in the early church, this was not a debate. This was not a question. Um, and in fact, if you, th- I mean, um, you know the debate in the New Testament about oh, when Jesus is interacting with, and when Paul specifically is uh, before um, the proconsuls in Rome, uh, in, in Antioch, and then heading, and then in Jerusalem, and then heading to Rome, um, he starts up this debate between Pharisees and Sadducees. You know that, and, and you know Jesus says this a couple times, where you it's pretty clear in the Gospels that Pharisees believe in a resurrection of the dead, and Sadducees do not. Have you realized this? Yeah, and part of it is because there was debate in Second Temple Judaism, and then even in the early church about not. There's not debate in the early church. There was debate in Second Temple Judaism about is there life after death? Because uh, they are a very, I gotta be careful how I say this, um, uh, that culture, the ancient Near East culture was so corporate, was so uh, communal, that salvation was the people together. We were all uh, getting into the promised land. We're all working together and so, there's this uh, Psalm 23, God is our shepherd and he's providing for us, he's caring for us. And there were some Jews and there was a trend in Judaism that was so corporate, so communal, the idea of an individual salvation seemed foreign to them. Does that make sense? So the idea of this individual salvation seemed like, well, that's just not what God's about. God's caring for us here. Now, that's wrong. 
and, the, and actually the trend of Judaism that we connect with the most, do you know which one that is? The Pharisees, yes. Um, actually, the Pharisaical view of salvation was actually pretty close to what Christians view which is this idea that God is a corporate communal God and he is protecting us as a covenant community. And then we will be children of Abraham in the heavenly heavenlies, the heavens of heavens. Uh, we will be up there together in salvation. So the Pharisees did believe in a uh, life after death. The early church picked up on that trend. Jesus picks up on that trend as well, where it's a belief that there is this salvation, not an individual only, but a corporate salvation. The reason why I'm going through this is because oftentimes uh, the, the criticism against the Protestant Reformation is this was a new invention because what was the first, uh, what were some of the big first early councils of the early church? Do you guys know? Yeah, the Nicene Creed came out of that, the Chalcedonian Creed. Uh, so a lot of that stuff is dealing with the idea of God, dealing of with Jesus, who's Jesus, how is Jesus connected to the Trinity, how is Jesus' humanity and divinity together, and, you know, they're dealing with all those things. The concept of salvation was not a question for them. concept of salvation didn't come up. It wasn't a debated issue because for them, it just made sense. We're saved by God. He's our shepherd and we're a sheep. We're just saved by God. It's not a question. But as the church grows, uh, really it just took a couple year, a couple hundred years until the 400s when a guy named Pelagius came along. Maybe we've mentioned him before. Uh, Pelagius comes along and he's the first one, the first big one who I have a lot of writings about where he says to this question, is salvation a work of God alone or does man contribute more or less to his salvation? Pelagius says, God graciously offers salvation and it is up to us to receive it. Okay, so this is Pelagius where he says, God gives us this great gift there's, that's terrible, Bo. Gives us this gift. It's, it's a beautiful gift. Let's pretend that's a, 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 a gift. Uh, God gives us the gift, and we over here, we're over here, and how are we saved? Pelagius says, this guy needs to come over and grab the gift. Okay? So salvation is dependent upon him grabbing the gift, kind of like what Avery was getting at. Uh, Pelagius says that. So who uh, in the early church really does not agree with this? Does anybody know? Augustine. Yes, Augustine. Pelagius versus Augustine. And uh, in the 400s, this was a big deal. This was the debate in the church. Augustine says, God... Uh, well, I didn't write it down because it's the biblical truth. Um, Augustine says, God gives us this gift and enables us to receive it. So God gives us this gift and we're over here and the arrow doesn't go from here to there. The arrow goes from the gift 
to us. God hands us the gift. God hands us the gift. That's what Augustine argues. He argues it a lot more eloquently than that. Uh, and Avery? Okay, so if you're enabling someone to do something, they're still doing something. They're still doing something, yes. But they're dead before they can do it. Yeah, we're going we're to get to that. We're going to get to that. So the, the, the question, this is what Augustine says, and he explains it a little bit more, and it still gets unfolded. So we'll, talk, we'll, we'll get there. So the early church says Augustine is right. So in the 400 Council of Orange, I think I wrote it down, the, yeah, 529, the early church in year 529, they say Augustine is right. There was this new thing, Pelagianism was there, and the church said that is heresy. And in fact, this other thing came along, was like, okay, well, Pelagius went too far. There's semi-Pelagianism. I'm not going to write it up there. And the church says semi-Pelagianism is wrong. Like, it's not even a little bit. The early church in Council of 529 says this is the correct biblical view, okay? Then many years go by, and the church goes back to, not Pelagianism, but it sort of drifts back towards semi-Pelagianism. Um, and I'm not going to go into a long description of semi-Pelagianism, uh, but it's essentially this Pelagian view, um, it, but dealing with like, what is your will? It's, it, it, it doesn't matter, we're, we're gonna move on. Um, but the church, I think, moves slowly back to this semi-Pelagian view, especially under the great angelic doctor. John, do you know who the angelic doctor is? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's right. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, and I'm totally going to spell that wrong, so that might have been right. Um, Aquinas is very semi-Pelagian, so Aquinas is like the main head guy, and Aquinas and Augustine disagreed on uh, a few things, although Augustine's long dead. Aquinas <laughs> rises many years um, and so then we get the Protestant Reformation, and the Protestant Reformation, if I was to describe what the Protestant Reformation was about, I would say the Protestant Reformation was about salvation. That's what it's dealing with. It's about how are we saved. The church had defined already who God is. The church had already defined already in those ecumenical councils who Jesus is. But it took until the Protestant Reformation to really say that to answer this question, is salvation a work of God alone? And so the Protestant Reformation came up and said, semi-Pelagianism, Luther, he's the first guy that started, I'm going to write his name because he's Martin Luther. Luther comes up and he says, Augustine was right. Church, you've gone too far to semi-Pelagianism, that's wrong. Calvin comes along contemporaneously, but also a little bit after Luther, and he sort of systematizes it, and he says, Luther was right, Augustine was right, semi-Pelagianism is wrong. But then, but then, of course not everyone is going to agree, um, because there comes this other guy, I'm just going to erase a lot of this, uh, this other guy comes along named Arminius. J uh, Jacob Arminius, Arminius, this Dutch guy comes along and he says, I have this new idea, guys. No one's ever thought of it. Um, and he develops this new idea called Pelagianism. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. About new, uh, yeah, uh, new idea. Uh, I'm, I, I, uh, Arminius comes up with a theology and a way of thinking about salvation that is different than Pelagianism. And I will, uh, uh, we'll, we'll go into this. I don't want to say that Arminianism is Pelagianism. Uh, that would get me into trouble if I said that. They're very similar, but uh, I put in the handout Jacob Arminius. He was a Dutch guy, and he actually was late, uh, he was late 1500s to early 16, and he actually died in 1609. Right after his death, this thing was published, this five articles of remonstrances, which a remonstrance is, I guess, Dutch or Latin for uh, protest, um, because that's what, that's what everyone did back then. They just protested. Um, and he wrote, or not he, the, his people, this Arminius thing, and I'm not going to go into all of Jacob Arminius's uh, history, but uh, they came up with this five articles of remonstrances in which in it were these five things. This is what we're about. Okay? So article one, conditional election. All right, so can someone read for us what is that little bit on the handout? Article 1, conditional election. Election is conditional on faith in Christ and that God elects to salvation. Those he knows beforehand will have saved. Yes, okay, so we're getting at this gift. I, I'm going to write the gift back up. We're getting at the gift and us. The gift of salvation, this is the question, and how we get it. So Article 1 is saying that you get this gift if you have faith, okay? So Article 1 is saying if you have faith, if you um, have this faith in Christ, then you get this gift, and it's all about foreknowledge. So Article 1, foreknowledge. Uh, and when, you, when I read earlier Romans 8 on the handout, it's on the bottom, uh, Romans 8, um, verse 29, for those whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. So they're picking up on that, and they're saying, well, God doesn't give the gift, he just foreknew who was going to receive the gift. Does that make sense? That's what they're saying, okay? And I, so I want to uh, never want to develop a straw man. I want to be very fair to what someone is saying. So they're saying, we believe scripture says that God foreknew who was going to receive the gift, and so uh, it's conditional upon faith in Christ. Can someone read for us Article 2 on the handout? What? Yes, thank you. I actually spent maybe most of my time this week thinking through and writing out these points because I, I want to be fair to what they would what an Arminian would say. Okay, so this is a, I think an Arminian guy would say, Article 2, unlimited atonement. Christ died for all. Christ died for everybody. But salvation is limited to those who believe in Christ. So, uh, Article 2, just write, you know, unlimited atonement. Um, in other words, this salvation 
is given to everyone in the world. Everyone. This gift is given to everyone in the world. Remember? So, you know, God foreknew who was going to receive my faith, but it's still up to people to receive it. This, he died for, and we've heard, what is John 3, 16? For God so loved the world. Yeah. Yes, yes. Everyone should be saved, right? So like God provided this gift. So uh, an Arminian would say, come on, guys, Christ died for the world. That's what the Bible says. What, do you not follow the Bible? Article 3, can someone read for us the title and then the, the sentence? Yeah, okay, so Article 3 is man is totally depraved. Uh, I mean, he's, it's total, totally depraved until we're born again. Um, and so they're saying that we are lost, we're dead. An Arminian would say everybody is lost and dead in sin uh, until, they are, until they are born again. Until, as John says in 3, like, uh, until we receive life from above, until we receive the light, uh, then, we're, uh, then we're born again. Uh, I, don't, I don't see much wrong with that. Like, I, I kind of like that. That's great. Uh, Article 4. <laughs> Article 4, what do you think? Well, someone read that for us. Prevenient, prevenient, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, it, just, it is, um, this grace is, uh, um, oh, it dropped from my brain, but it is, uh, when they describe grace, when Arminians describe grace, it is a grace of offering. It is a grace of, that has been put before you, pre, and then I already forgot what venian is, um, where it is, um, uh, it, it, is, it is provided and at the beginning uh, before you, but it is resistible. So that's, that's their big thing. Like the grace, and that actually gets us into, well, no, yeah, no, it, Article 5. Um, uh, Article 5 is what answers the question of really this grace a little bit. But Patrick? Is that saying that grace is extended before Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Grace is given to all before the gift of salvation salvation exists. Because without the grace, the gift would be I'm I'm seeing what you're saying. These build on each other, if anyway. Like we are totally depraved, but we need to be born again. And to be born again, we receive a grace, or or we receive this provenient grace that's there before us that's before anything that we can receive this gift. And it is, um, it is conditional. Uh, can someone read for us Article 5? We'll, we'll explain this more. Um, article 5, conditional preservation of the saints. The true believer is capable of falling away from faith and perishing eternally as an unbeliever. 
Yeah, and I, I put this little thing here. If you go back and you read the original uh, text of the 1610 Articles of Remonstrances, it's not super clear what they're saying, in my opinion. Uh, it, but they did clarify very much, especially after the Reformed people responded. They, they were like, whoa, we need to make sure. We're very clear to tell you that true believers can fall away. And this is maybe the most thing that Avery was saying, is that... Um, that we see people who declare faith in Christ fall away, and you can fall away. Does that go back to the um, shepherd that can't be snatched out of his hand? Uh, they would not like that text. Um, but they have to ignore it. Um, An Arminian would say that uh, when you read James especially, we're, start ta- we're starting to talk about a... Faith without works is dead. Doesn't James say that? And so I'm not saying they would ignore it, but they would say, well, James makes it very explicit and clear that if you don't have faith or if you don't have works, then you're dead. So you, you've lost it. You've lost it. Um, they would say you lost it. You've lost it. Uh, Well, hold on. We haven't gotten to we haven't gotten our, our response yet. We haven't gotten to the reformed response. But I think the thing about that is that you, if you have free will to choose, then obviously you have the opportunity to fall away if that's your choice, because everything is based on your choice. So yeah. So Patrick, you're getting at. I think the thing about Arminian theology, and you wrote I wrote down there on the handout. Like here are all the people that we would call brothers and sisters in Christ. Methodists, free will Baptists, uh, Christian churches, all these. Like, we would call, well, maybe not all of them brothers and sisters of Christ. I, uh, um, but most of those. But we do have brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, most of those, like, especially Methodists, like, those that know my testimony know that um, my sister received her faith in the ministry of the United Methodist Church. Uh, and my mother reaffirmed her faith in the ministry of United Methodist Church. We love our brothers and sisters, even though they would, they would say this, and we would disagree with it. Um, but what Patrick's getting at is that what it's doing is, in all of these things, it's putting the emphasis on this guy. It's putting the emphasis on this person, saying this person needs to receive and respond to the gift of salvation. Yes, we're totally depraved, but we need to be born again because God has provided us the grace before all of this to be able to receive it. And he's offered it to everybody, but we need to receive it. I mean, he knows who's going to receive it, but we need to receive it. And if we don't keep receiving it, we're going to fall away. You know, so that's what they're saying over and over again is the emphasis is on this guy. I would call them brothers and sisters in Christ. You, so would you. Um, and uh, the emphasis is on this guy. So in the church, Arminius or his followers, after he died, he, they published this remonstrance thing. And the reformed people had a response. Avery? Yep. Oh, without a doubt. Yes, okay. yes. And yeah, without a doubt. Place to live. I mean, I, I've lived that. This is a miserable place to be. Well, because you're always thinking it's about me. 
today or I have failed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I, Vanna, I completely agree with you. I think our Methodist brothers, I'm just going to say Methodist because that's the largest group. I think our Methodist brothers and sisters would say, um, God is graciously provided for us. Like he is graciously giving us all these things. Yes, we need to receive it and we have received it, but God is still, our Methodist brothers would say, God is still the one that is the powerful one. But I agree with you, Vanda, that uh, it still places so much emphasis on my ability as a sheep to catch up to that shepherd over the hill. As the sheep, I got to make sure I don't lose his voice or I'm going to wander off. Um, It does make you think of the lost sheep. Thank you, Margie. Margie, you're so smart. It does make you think of that lost sheep um, because this works well for the 99 sheep, but what about that one sheep that went away? And Jesus says that God... Uh, feels something towards that one lost sheep. So in the, in the church history, uh, uh, the reformed people had a response and they responded in the thing called the Canons of Dort. Oh, I put it on here. These um, Sometimes you might hear this thing called the three forms of unity. We, are we a, a, a Presbyterian church or a reformed church? <laughs> Depends on what I mean by reformed. Um, we are a Presbyterian church. There are other thing, other denominations called reformed churches, which were in the continent. What is the continent uh, in Europe? Um, so Presbyterian came from what country? Scotland. Scotland, which was not on the continent. But the other people were on the continent, which is the Belgic Confession of Faith, which came out of Spain, the Heidelberg Catechism, which came out of Germany. You don't have to look that up. That's Heidelberg. It's the most German word I've heard. Uh, And then the Canons of Dort came out of Netherlands because uh, where is, what is the ethnicity of Jacob Arminius? Yeah, Dutch. So this is like big happening in the Netherlands. Uh, the three forms of unity are what the Continental Reformed churches hold as their um, big um, constitution, if you will. Presbyterian churches, we love the Westminster Standards because that's on England, remember, in the island. They love the three forms of unity. Do we read the Heidelberg Catechism around here? Yeah, yeah, pretty much all the time because it's wonderful and great. Uh, the Belgic Confession is more like uh, the Westminster Standards in which it's like more of a systematic doctrine. Uh, and so why would we read that? We got the Westminster Standards. Um, Heidelberg Catechism is truly wonderful because it starts in our experience. Um, that's kind of what I love about it. Uh, okay, this is not what I intend to say, but I'm just going to say it. The Westminster Shorter Catechism 1, does anybody know it? Yeah, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever, which is amazing and great. And it starts with our purpose, but it also starts with God, right? It is like so holy and, and you know, it starts with God, like chief end of man. Does anybody know Heidelberg Catechism 1? Heidelberg Catechism 1. What is your only hope in life and death that I am not my own, but a belong body and soul? Yeah, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Starts, I would say, starts more devotional. Like it starts more in like my experience. Uh, that's one of... Joe, what's the Canons of Dort one? 
Oh, yeah, thank you for saying that. Thank you for trying to move me along very quickly. Uh, the Canons of Dort is the response to the five remonstrances. So the Canons of Dort um, is actually written out in five articles, and they respond to the, um, the 10 remonstrances. And so the first one in the Canons of Dort, and I put it up here on the handout, is total depravity. And they would say, in response to Remonstrance Article 3, so they do diverge from the order a little bit. So the Remonstrance Article 3 is the one that talks about uh, total depravity. The Canons of Dort, more appropriately, starts with us in saying, we are totally depraved. You know, outside of, I'm just thinking about this now, how um, depraved is such a hard word. <laughs> um, and I wrote it in here. We don't have time to go too deep into this, but the total depravity, we would agree with a lot of the remonstrances. The Canons of Dort agree with a lot of Article 3 of the remonstrance. We are totally depraved. We do need to be born again. But it appropriately says the very first start is we are lost. We are lost and we are totally depraved. It does not mean that we are the worst that we could be, but it does mean that we are dead in our sins, morally corrupt, enslaved. Um, and there's a lot of verses in there that I wrote out that you are welcome to go read later, and in fact, encouraged to go read later uh, about total depravity. Uh, you are special. The Lord sees you as special. And yet, because of our sin, we are lost and dead. Article 2. Can I say something about that? Patrick, quickly, i got to move on. I was going to say that I don't think a lot of us really understand how important the acceptance of total depravity is. Because we are conditioned by cultural ways to think that everybody has some good in them. And I think that when we make that point, that violates the whole concept of total depravity. Yeah, you're you're right, Patrick. I'm gonna cut you. Off. I'm gonna cut you off just because I, I really do need to move on. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Everything starts in we are sinners and lost. That's why they reordered it. And then Article Two is unconditional election predestination, and it is saying that uh, in eternity, from the beginning of time, God chose from individuals from the mass of fallen humanity unto salvation without regard to any merit or foreseen faith in them. It is more than foreknowledge. It is more than God seeing that we would have faith. God doesn't look at dead bodies and say, oh, that's the one that's going to believe in me, and that's the one that's not going to believe in me. No, he doesn't say that. He says, that one, rise. Like that one, it, it has nothing to do with that person. It's all about God choosing for a purpose, not just foreknowledge. It is a choice. And is the choice in us or is in the choice in God, in his offer of salvation? It is in God. It is the offer of salvation there. Um, and this is a response to their article one, um, that there is conditional election. Um, no, we would say it is this unconditional, it is not dependent upon us in any way. We are elected. And then Article 3 is the one that, um, oh, I'm sorry, I should have put total depravity because it keeps us in the, the 
um, limited, which us uh, Presbyterian Reformed people don't like the word limited, but you got to keep it there because uh, it, otherwise it would be tud up because we like definite atonement uh, because everybody limits atonement. If you, uh, maybe this is probably the, the, the thing that I should, should end with is everybody limits the atonement. Arminians limit the atonement. The only people that don't limit the atonement are universalists, right? And so like atonement, the salvation uh, that God provides, uh, that God provides. Uh, if everyone is saved, if there is no hell and every single human being will get to heaven, that's unlimited, right? That's true unlimited, uh, unlimited. There's no limit to it, right? You with me so far? That uh, the problem with that one is Jesus is very clear there's a hell, right? I mean, if you listen to the words of Jesus, there is a hell. So there is, there's got to be some limit. There's got to be some limit. Why do some get to heaven and why do some get to hell? And so Arminians say, and I think I wrote it in here, Arminians say man is the one that limits it. Arminians, remember, they emphasize man. Man is the one that limits it. They're the ones that say, uh, if you decide for Christ, if you make a decision, then you are in. If you don't decide for Christ, then you are out. So who's limiting it? Man. Reformed people, me, I would say that someone else limits it. Not me, but God is the one that limits it. Maybe I should more appropriately say this guy over here that's not even part of it. Uh, God is the one that offers the gift. God is the one that limits the atonement. He's the one that says, this is where the dividing line is. And I think if you listen to the words of Jesus, he's pretty clear that that's true. But uh, just to finish my thing, uh, the I, what is the I? Irresistible, Irresistible grace. Um, let's flip it on the back. I'm, I'm over time. Uh, irresistible grace. You know how to spell it. And then five, perseverance of saints. And these are in direct response to the Arminian ideas. Uh, irresistible grace. I mean, I, I wanted to look at some of these texts because they're so good. Uh, but in, um, in the irresistible grace, that God, when he gives us grace, we cannot turn it away. We cannot turn his hand. When the shepherd calls us, we have to respond um, when, um, yeah, it's so great. And then the perseverance of saints, that we cannot be lost. Now, there is, uh, there's, you know, Avery brings it up. What about those people that say they follow Christ and then they just fall away? Well, our response might be that uh, they never truly believed to begin with. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a biblical uh, word. Uh, it also it also might be, you know, um, God still got them. God still got them. Uh, say again. Yeah, yeah. There's there there is backsliding. I mean, this is what happens uh, in the history. And I I just want to read. I'm over time, but I want to read it. Um, this is Second Kings six fifteen to seventeen. Syria and Israel 
were at war. Elisha was the prophet of Israel at the time. Uh, and this is, what second, this is what verse 15 says. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Like the enemy surrounding us. And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them, which to the servant would make no sense because I see armies all around us and our army looks tiny and going to lose. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God is the one who fights for us, not us. The power is not in us. The power is in God. There are some questions, and we should always talk about the questions, but um, praise God that the power is in him to save. I need to end. Lord Jesus, thank you that you surround us. Thank you that you protect us, that you preserve us, that your grace is irresistible, that you are the one that defines who's saved, that you elect us. And that even though we are lost, we have been found. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are off next week because I'll be at a, a baby shower for my sister. So uh, we're off next week. So you have two weeks worth of homework that I didn't have time to talk about. Um, you should start memorizing the Apostles' Creed. If you don't have it memorized, work on it. Start doing it. It's written out there uh, on the handout. And when we return in two weeks, we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at the, uh, the chronological history of the Bible from 1 Samuel to 2 Chronicles, a long chunk. So that's what we'll do when we come back in two weeks. Thank you, Joe. Amen.